All right, open your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And while we head there, help me out. We, we laid out a definition last week for what I'm calling our created identity. What I mean by that is how God has created us. And when we use the word identity, we're not talking about what you do. We're not even talking about what you like. We're not talking about the things you like to do or, or the things you're drawn to or your specific struggles or specific gifts, but we're actually create, talking about what God has created you in your innermost being for. So we said a couple of things. We said, first of all, that you are created by who? By God. First and foremost, we have to understand you are a created being. Now, we talked about what implications that has on our lives. Does anybody remember? What does it matter if you're a created being or if you're self-made? Say that one more time, a little louder. Your own. Thank you. Very good. If you are created, you're owned. Not by yourself, but by your creator. Anything else? Great. What other implications does it have on your life if you are created? You're created with with a purpose. So your creator crafted you with a specific purpose. Our creator is dependable. What is maybe, who gets to set up the way that life works in this kind of relationship? The created or the creator? The creator. So you are created. First and foremost, you're created. Now what's the first part of that identity? You're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. You're created in his likeness to represent him. You're a representation of him. So you were created. You were created in the image of God. What else? You were created dependent on God. What else? Created dependent and then accountable. And then what was la- the last one? You were created for the glory of God. So we defined identity uh, and your created identity as you were created in the image of God. You were created dependent on God. You were created accountable to God. And you were created for the glory of God. And so as we move in today, we're going to talk about this identity, but we're going to talk about it in light of what we call the fall. So we're going to talk about our fallen identity. How does the fall affect who we are? But we're going to get to end on the restoration. So we'll start with fall. We're moving to restoration by the end of today. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into Genesis chapter 3. Uh, And we'll get to work tonight. God, thank you so much that we are created. In many ways, it makes life a lot easier. We know where we find hope. We know where we find meaning. We know where we can find truth. God, I thank you that you are dependable. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you are just. God, I thank you that you are God worth worshiping. 
Be with us tonight as we try to unpack what it means that sin has entered the world, but also what it means that there is an ultimate solution. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we've all been created with this one identity. I said this last time, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody in here has the same identity. Now what, what I don't mean by that, and I've said this a number of times, that doesn't mean you're all exactly the same. That doesn't mean you don't have differences in who you are. But in the centermost uh, parts of your being, in what you were designed for, in how you were designed to relate with your creator, we're all the same. We're all the same. And so we have this beautiful picture in the Garden of Eden of, of our creator creating the first man and the first woman. And they were relating to God in this perfect way. They were walking in the garden. They were handling the job that, that God had given them. But he had also given them one specific boundary. Who knows what that boundary was? You don't all have to raise your hand at once. Anybody? Seth? Do not eat from one specific tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's right. So, he gave them this one rule out of love and care for them. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 3 to see what happens. You guys probably know, but I want us to sit here for a little bit and see what happened here. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. We ready? Every one of you is ready? Are we ready? All right, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Do, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was del a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then, both, then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And then the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I 
8. So one of the parts of our created identity we were talking about was being accountable to God. What does it mean to be accountable? We talked about this last week. You can't use the word accountable in the definition. What, is it, what does it mean to be accountable? Great, thank you. It means you have to answer. Now, if it's accountable to anything, you have to answer to somebody for your actions. But we were created accountable to God, so God gave them one rule. And here we see the first act of disobedience, the first act of rebellion. Now, in many ways, not just in all culture, but throughout history, we've worked really hard to minimize sin. We've worked really hard to define sin in a way where it doesn't sound as bad, where it doesn't feel as bad. What are some ways that maybe uh, people talk about sin that you don't think are uh, accurate according to God's word? Anything? Okay, good. Yeah, that was just a little white lie. It's no big deal. What else? Some are worse than others. Anybody else? Yeah, so that sin's not as big as this other one. How about... How about things like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Or I haven't done what they've done. Unnecessary evil, I had to do it. I just had to. Good. We do whatever we can to minimize sin. We do whatever we can to make it seem less of a, of a deal. I know people define sin sometimes as missing the mark, and that's not necessarily an awful, an awful way to define it, but it doesn't encompass the whole of it. Sin in its essence, and I love that Brad worked this morning to really lay a good foundation for it if you were here, but sin is open rebellion against the Creator. Sin is shaking your fist at the person that created you and saying, you know what? I got this. I know better. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? You don't understand me. You don't know what I need. I've got this. We are quick to confuse maybe just the effects of sin with actual sin. Brad talked about that this morning. I think sometimes we look around and we see broken relationships and we say, that's sin. And in a lot of ways, there's sin present in that. But we have to get it in our heads that at the end of the day, sin is first and foremost against God. It's rebellion against God. And if we think about it that way, if we think about every time that we've, we sin, <laughs> if we think about it as against God, our creator, it carries a, a different weight to it, doesn't it? When it's not just I've sinned against my brother, or, or when, when it's just, I shouldn't have done that. I know that was wrong against them. But when it's, not only did I hurt them, but I actually rebelled against my king. That gives it a different perspective. Do you guys recognize every time, every time you disrespect your parents, you're sinning against God? Every time. Every time you speak unkindly or spread rumors 
You're sinning against God, first and foremost. Every idol in your life is active rebellion against God. Every time you're jealous and coveting something your friends have or somebody else has, whether it's happiness, popularity, money, clothes, even who they are, you're rebelling against God or showing ungratitude towards your creator. Friends, I just want to remind you today, tonight, every one of us is a sinner. It comes down through Adam and Eve. We, we see this idea of inherited sin in Romans, in Romans chapter 5, where, where through one man came sin into the world. Every one of us is a sinner. We, we don't just inherit sin, but we also, we come out of the womb sinning. I've shared this story with, with you guys before about my son Daniel when he was only six months old, when I was just giving him an instruction and I could tell he understood it, but he went to do it anyways and just watched me as he did it. I see it in, in my own kids at a young age. Isaiah can't talk, but he can sure throw a fit. Isaiah can't even ask us for, what, for something, but he knows how to hit his brothers and sisters when he doesn't get what he wants. We see sin from the very young ages. But when you look around in your own relationships and in your own lives, we have to be completely blind to not see sin everywhere. Think about your school. Think about your family. Think about you. Every one of you knows this internal truth that something is broken now. Something is messed up. We don't have to love this idea, but we do have to believe in this idea because God's word says this. You guys know the passages. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Brad does this all the time. The word all really means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we see back in our, our, our text here in Genesis chapter 3, then the Lord ends up, the Lord ends up speaking specifically to, uh, to Adam and Eve, and he gives them a curse. And it's interesting because in many ways, what, what this curse does is it makes what they've created for harder on them. To Adam, his, his job was to cultivate and care for the earth, but now it's going to be harder for him. For Eve, he talks about childbearing and how it will now be painful. And even in her relationship with her husband, she will now want to lead and take over for the role that her husband has been given. It takes our identity, sin takes what we're created for and twists it inside of us. It messes with it. It makes it harder and it actually makes it impossible to live as we were created. Does anybody here like movies or books that kind of frame themselves around like medieval time frames? Castles, could be knights, could be... I grew up reading those kinds of things. Even if you don't love them, 
I think this example will work. If you can think back to any of those time frames or any of those movies or books that you read or movies that you saw, if anybody, if anybody rebelled, talked badly, or disobeyed the king, what was the penalty? <laughs> Death. We even see it in literature. People understood that rebelling against your king earns you death. It earns you punishment. There's no way around this idea that sin has corrupted our identity. I think one of the things we have to wrestle with, though, is what do we do with that now? So we all understand if we would just look around in our lives, we know sin is everywhere. But what do we do with it? I think sometimes not only do we minimize sin, but we actually minimize the solution. We think we can handle it. We say, you know what? If I could, if I could give you the, uh, the most, hurt, most used answer in any conversation I've had with somebody who's not a believer, it's this. I'll ask them, well, what do you do with this idea of sin and, and evil in the world? And what do you do about heaven? And they'll almost always say, I'm just trying to be a good enough person. I'm just going to be good enough and hope that my good outweighs the bad. So we not only minimize sin, but by minimizing sin, we minimize the solution. So I've got here this little wet wipe. I want to read it to you because it cracks me up, but I think it actually communicates in words what many people believe when it comes to their sin. This is called, and I kid, I'm not making this up, the wash away your sins towelette. Okay? It says it's heavenly scented, it's handy and reliable, and it's righteous formula kills sin on contact. On the top of the back, it says, write your wrongs with a wipe. <laughs> Directions for use. Are you ready for this? Directions for use. Remove moist towelette. Devoutly wipe away wrongdoing. Spot check for stubborn guilt. Wipe again as needed. Discard sins in a waste receptacle. Go forth purified and moisturized. Wash your sins, towelette. Now, I know that's funny, because I've rolled as I read that. But I think in many ways, that describes how our world tries to deal with sin and guilt. We wash it with a couple of good works. We feel bad about ourselves. Well, let's go serve somebody else so we can deal with that. Or maybe if, if we're not feeling good about where we are with God, we'll just go to church a few extra times this week. Or we'll just read our Bible just a little bit extra. We'll feel a little better about ourselves. Or maybe if we'll just get into a, a group of people where we can just confess a little bit of, of kind of the wrong stuff that we know is going on in our life. We can pat each other on the back and we can walk and we'll, we'll be okay. But sin requires a much deeper solution than a moist towelette in our life. 
It needs a solution that's founded in our creator. Because if we've been created with an identity, and if we've sinned in such a way where we've screwed up that identity, it only makes sense that our creator would be the only one who has an answer for that. For how do we fix this? How do we deal with this? So turn in your copy of scripture now to the, not to the back, but closer to the back, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's where we'll finish tonight. So sin has made it impossible to represent God as we've been created in his image. All of a sudden, we don't want to be dependent on God. We only want to do what we want to do. We see that back in Genesis chapter 3 where they've decided, you know what? I want what God has. I don't want to be dependent. We see that accountability doesn't necessarily change, but just all of a sudden we're on the wrong side. We've got a sinful account. And then it's impossible to live for the glory of God because we, all we want to do is live for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to start in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of our sin, we have earned the wrath of God. We can go to other passages in scriptures. We don't really have time to do that. Romans 1 would be one where the wrath of God is being unleashed on the wicked. We have earned that wrath. We have earned eternal torment. We have earned hell. But God in his kindness, our creator, sent his son Jesus to reconcile us to himself. What does that word reconcile mean that you see there in 2 Corinthians 5? Anybody know? Good. To restore a relationship. To fix what was wrong. Another good word is to reunite. Because of sin, we were separated from God. That relationship was shattered. But through Christ, he's offering hope. He's offering reconciliation. I'm not going to make you turn there, but I just want to show you really quick, how do you get this reconciliation? How do you do that? Is it for everybody? Do we just get it because we're people? Acts 20, 21 is, is Paul writing, uh, and he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God 
and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it simple there. How do we become reconciled to God? Through repentance and faith. Repentance is acknowledging what you've done wrong, turning from your sin, confessing it to God, and walking in righteousness. And faith in Jesus. That means trusting that what he's done on the cross is for you. That means bowing down after you've repented and saying, Jesus, I trust you. You can save me. You're the only way of salvation. That is how you can be restored to Christ. That is how you can have your identity restored. Your identity made right. You can be reunited with your original purpose. So what does that mean? Well, in verse, in verse 17, we see that you are a new creation. Now, it's not new as in completely different than you ever were, but it's a restored to newness, restored to your original purpose, restored, made new in Christ. If you see there in 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's key, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your sin has been taken care of. Your penalty dealt with. You can now represent him as you were created in the image of God. Dependent. Well, how, how does that help us be dependent? Well, all of a sudden, you can be okay with the fact that everything is from God. Your salvation, first and foremost, is from God. That you wake up in the morning, you understand you're still wrestling with your sin, but you can trust on what Christ has done. You can roll out of bed and say, God, I need you today. Just like every day, I need your help. But your identity is in Christ now. It's not in your sin. He's broken the bonds of sin. And we know that every good gift now is from God. The accountable part. Well, what do we do now? We were accountable to God. We have sinned. Well, that's what's great about verse 19. It says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you guys understand how good that is? What that means? That means if you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, your trespasses are no longer counted against you. Every sin that you ever committed, your inherited sin is no longer counted against you. You guys know your life. If you would sit and just for a second make a list of the sins you could think of in, in 30 seconds... You would run out of room on your paper and you would run out of time listing sin. Even if we just block inherited sin as one and then list out the ways that we sin every day. But if you are in Christ, if your identity is in Jesus Christ, it's no longer counted against you. It's no longer a negative in your account. It's no longer deserving of wrath towards you because Jesus Christ bore it all 
on the cross. Every bit of it. And then for the glory of God, we see now that we are, if you are in Christ, you're ambassadors. Do you guys know what an ambassador does? Anybody? Yeah, you go to another country, you keep peace. It's not always just to keep peace. You are an active representation of where you came from. You're an active representation of what you're from. So when we talk about being ambassadors for Christ, we're talking about people who see their life as a representation of somebody else. That means as you enter your school, you're on mission. Representing Christ. That means as you enter your sports team or as you enter your, the things you do for fun or as you hang out with your friends or as you're in your home, no matter how hard it is, you are there to be an ambassador, to, to be a representation of Christ. And then this brings us to really... <laughs> One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, verse 21, where it gives us the gospel in a nutshell. It says, for our sake, that's for you and me. You put your name right there. For our sake, he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That means if you are in Christ, it's not that your bank account is just clean. It means you have been given the righteousness of Christ who came to this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. You get that righteousness. That means he looks down at you now, no matter how much you sin, if you are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. This is what you get in the gospel. And then one of the reasons that I get so passionate about this is, number one, because I've tasted this. But number two, I'm concerned because I know there are some of you in here who are just playing a game. Some of you in here just come on Sunday nights to hang out, which is totally fine. I'm okay with you being here. I'm glad you're here. But when you get into your groups... You're afraid to be honest about where you're really at. You put on a facade of being better than you really are, which helps nobody, including yourself. And you tell everyone, yeah, I love Jesus, but your life doesn't look like it at all. And I, and I pray for you. And I Get in front of the Lord and ask him to save you. Because if we look and elsewhere in scripture, we see places like Ephesians where it says, we were saved so that no man could boast. So we were saved in such a way that it can't be counted to us. You guys, I, I long for you to understand the gospel. Long for you to see the brokenness, first of all, in your own life, to see sin as it really is, to see its nastiness and how much it owns you right now. 
And I want you to be freed from that. And I want you to be restored to the identity you were created for. Because that's where you will find most joy. That's where you will find most happiness. And honestly, (laughs) that's where you get your hope, is knowing Christ has taken care. He's taken care of your worst problem. So I want to finish just by just taking a moment to think about where we are at in our own lives. We were all created the same, but we're all in different spots now in our understanding of who God is. But at the end of the day, when it comes to fallen or restored, every single one of you is in one camp. You you aren't halfway in one, you know, one foot in the restored, one foot still in fallen. You're in one or the other. And I just want to ask you to try to be honest with yourself tonight. And I know that's hard, and I, and I know that God needs to help you do that, but I'm going to just take just a couple of moments to be silent. So could you just bow your heads with me? And what I want you to think about is I want you to think about where you really stand with God. Are you someone who's sitting here right now and says, God, I actually don't think I know Jesus. In fact, I don't want to. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you to think deeply about life. There's way more to life than what you see here. There's more to life than entertainment. There's more to life than getting what you want on this earth. And every one of us will stand before our maker because we are created accountable to God. Every one of us will stand and give account for this life. And the answer, I'm better than most, will not do a thing for your soul. Now, I know some of you are in here are, you know, not sure where you stand. I want you to ask God right now in your own heart to show you where you are. I want you to ask him to help you see your spiritual condition. Now there's some of you who you say, I am a Christian. But for some reason, I don't look like it. Or I'm really having a hard time living for Christ, living out my created identity for the glory of God, dependent on God, in the image of God. For you, I want to ask you, what is ruling your life? What is in your life that is more important to you than God? I want you to think about that and ask God to help change you and be willing to ask for help to to destroy the idols in your heart.
And there are, there are some of you that are excited about the gospel. When you hear me talk about Jesus, when you read in your, in your Bibles about what God has done for you, it gives you, gets you excited. I want to challenge you to be ambassadors for Christ. Here in your discipleship groups, in your school, at your jobs, in your home, would you actively be pleading with people to come to Christ? I read a Facebook status from a buddy of mine today that said his first exposure to the gospel was in his high school in a class when a girl just asked him if he knew Christ and talked to him. I want that to be you. So I just want to take one moment, think about where you are, and then I'll close this in prayer. God, we desperately need you. No matter what stage of our life we are in, we are desperately, desperately dependent on you. We're dependent on you for salvation. We're dependent on you for our sanctification. We're dependent on you for our physical needs. We're dependent on you for everything. God, would you show us where we are? in light of eternity. God, would you be with us in our discipleship groups? Would you help us to have conversation that, is, that builds each other up? Would you help us to just think and be honest with each other? And ask good questions. And God, would you please draw people to yourself and reconcile them to God, Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.